0: Okay, Lee Sales here with? Annabelle Crubb, with a minty. <laughs> we are on a Qantas flight from Canberra to Sydney where we just had the happy coincidence of discovering we're on the same flight. <laughs> what are we even doing here? just yet? bullied to other people into just swapping um, flight, uh, seats with us. Who knows, that could be a happy ending, that could be some sort of love story or something unfolding God, They now. get married, seriously. They are. Anyway we're just all we're doing is recording this as an introduction to the next podcast to show you the sort of horrendous quality audio that we are sparing you because even we have limits. It's the fish that John West reject. <laughs> <laughs> so we might see you later this week. <laughs>
1: You'll be happy to know we landed safely. <laughs> there, now we're now reinstalled in my capacious office.
0: What did you used to call this thing? It's the, the priest p- hole. The priest hole, yeah, that's right. The, yeah, the, like
1: priest hole. Priest yeah. hole.
0: the priest hole. The priest hole at least has going for it that it's reliably quiet.
1: Yeah, it's totally windowless too. So it's um, possible to be unaware <laughs> of what time of day it is. <laughs> the um,
0: I do have a problem knowing that every single time I come here, I don't know why I have this terrible mental block that I have to text you every time to say, can you just remind me again what level your office is on? It's
1: It's really not difficult.
0: Sometimes I wonder how
1: you hold down your job.
0: I don't know. It's cause I, I think it's because I let trivial detail like the location of your office just fall out in the back of my head. Yeah. I, just, I, I hold it's like just GD, the inflation rate all that
1: <laughs> stuff stays at the forefront of my mind because I There's need that. It's something like just so inevitable. Whenever we agree to meet here, I'm just five, four, three, <laughs> two. Ding! Remember what level you're on again?
0: Uh, can I just get a couple of clangs straight out of the way? Yeah,
1: okay, go on. I interviewed
0: Bill Nye Yeah, this week. clang! Oh, he was lovely. Um, and he basically says he likes nothing better than when he travels around the world to just skulk around finding independent bookstores and having lots <laughs> of coffee and whatnot. And I just thought, marry me. That's exactly what I like doing as well. <laughs> so he was awesome and super charming. And... This, is, this would be a real clang, except that you're also getting to meet the person, so I can't make you envious. I interviewed Armando Inucci, who is the creator and writer of Veep.
1: Haha, <laughs> reverse clang! <laughs> I still have mine coming up. Yes. Okay, so, um, see, one of my problems with interviewing Armando Inucci is that is that sort of options paralysis of just absolute ass kissing you know where i just like oh i don't know where to start with everything that i love about you i mean must be tedious for him funny you should raise that because my new best friend bill
0: nye brought this up and
1: (laughs) this is just gonna go on indefinitely isn't it
0: and i because i asked him when you're really famous can you still get dazzled by other famous people right and he said well yes as a matter of fact you can he said i got completely flummoxed by David Bowie, who
1: oh, well, said... Well,
0: yeah, that's well,
1: high flummox
0: rate. That's yeah. like, this is the level we're talking that's about of fame, Hyper right?
1: flummoxianism. Who would and... flummox
0: David Bowie, though?
1: <laughs> the God. Queen? No, there'd be, it'd be someone really bizarre, wouldn't it? <sighs> don't know. Well, I mean, not many people now would flummox him, given that he's no longer with us. True, but,
0: um, yeah, David Bowie's like, that's peak celebrity. Mm. The only person for mine that if I bumped into that I would feel equally as freaked out as if I saw David Bowie would be Paul McCartney really
1: oh god yes a beetle i'd just be like yeah i don't know some of his misadventures in life made me feel like possibly are you talking about the
0: wings albums (laughs) are you talking about band (laughs) on the run because i think that was a completely fine album um the uh yeah so bill nye in starring in a play on broadway in his dressing room it's packed with people who's come by to congratulate him david bowie and he, so he said he's not realised Bowie's in the room, and then he just looks next to him, and it's David Bowie. Um, and so he said he just went into a complete "You're so awesome," and you just you, my youth and just gave the whole like. full imagine? And
1: you'd be it would be like one of those things where you die and like you rise above the operating table, and you can see your body underneath. It, it was, you. and he it'd said like that, he yeah.
0: said he could just see David Bowie's face. Oh no! Blaze oh. Over. oh. And then, and he said, because oh, he said, you know, David Bowie just wanted to have a chat and just wanted to talk about play and know he liked it and stuff. And then he said mercifully he got to meet David Bowie on another occasion and then he was just able to talk to him like a normal human being. Right. But you can see how, like, if you just happen to be sitting here and you look to your left and it was David Bowie, you can see how, you need the time to prepare so you can be, so you've got that with Monday because you know you're meeting him so you don't have to blabber like an idiot. You can just be. I just say,
1: Lee didn't think much of you, mate. <laughs> 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 How'd that go? Yeah. Um, What is that great story? I I love this story, but it's a terrible problem for me that I can never remember who the musician was. And I think it was like someone like Yehudi Menuhin or somebody, like some incredibly brilliant um, conductor or violinist or something. Anyway, um, who told this story once that I heard um, about meeting Rupert Murdoch. mm -hmm. And apparently Murdoch was this huge fan of this um, person, and uh, when he met Murdoch, um, Rupert said, "Oh, oh, it's such an honour to meet you. You know, I'm a huge fan, and um, I will always remember the time when, as a young boy, I was taken by my father to see you perform, and it was just incredibly um, uh, engaging. And I'm uh, full of admiration for you." At which point the musician has responded, "What? You came to see me as a boy? You mean I had a chance to strangle you back then?" And oh. I didn't take it? <laughs>
0: Oh, diabolical. Shops, yeah. oh, Pretty good. Wow. Mm. Um, so what are you going to focus on with Armando? You've got an hour or something, I guess. This is an event. Yeah. Is it already sold out? Because there's no problem. Uh, I don't you know. know is the truth. Okay. Well, Annabelle Crabb's doing something at the Wheeler Centre in Melbourne in May, early yes. May, with Armando Iannucci. So just Google that and you should be able to find it.
1: Yes. While you're at um, it, have a
0: look at our website, www.chattenalooks3.com. It like, didn't
1: even feel a thing. If you like
0: us, visit iTunes. Leave a review. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you follow us on Twitter at chat10looks3.com. Chat
1: Opens can of Pepsi, hands it <laughs> to police officer. <laughs> Pepsi matters. <laughs> um, oh, what a train crash that was. Yes. Um, um, well, you, you know, I, uh, here's the thing. See, I love the thick of it so much that I couldn't easily just talk about um, mm. that to him indefinitely. But then... Um, also, Veep is just my scratching obsession, so We're
0: I don't gonna know. going to get
1: some more of that to watch. Yeah, I know. Well, one of the things that I first did when the Wheeler Centre said, oh, can you come and do this thing? And, of course, I broke every finger that I possess in my speed in responding yes. I said, uh, in an example of just shocking shamelessness, I'll probably need the new season of Veep uh, just to prepare. <laughs> Can you sort that out for me? And, and I think my friendly sales would need one as well. So oh I can no, just bounce some questions off her. Yeah. Uh, so look, I'm I'm really hoping that some little birdie will deliver me a bootleg set of that uh, yeah. new series so that I can just well so that I can make my friends' lives unbearable by announcing that i've watched it
0: now speaking of things that we love the americans latest season has started in the u.s but it's not on tv in australia what it's months away right yeah another
1: month i saw you tweet about that the other day yeah i was hoping foxtel would respond i was
0: like foxtel where is it (laughs) um did did you see the piece in the new yorker um which was ways tv critics have tried to get me to watch the americans made me laugh so much
1: (laughs) thank you to whichever i think it was a um, podcast tragic who alerted us Margot to yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, was it yeah, yeah it was Margot. <laughs> thanks Margot thanks Margot but I just oh my God it was just one of those beautifully written pieces that just for a while teeters between <laughs> satire and um, and reality and then just gloriously (laughs) takes flight. It's just so great.
0: So it's things like, you know, it was pretty much basically the history of our relationship of me telling you and begging you to watch the Americans and you holding out. Um, And so it would be things like, you know, um, so-and-so from the New York Times flew a drone into my backyard bearing a copy of the Americans, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was extremely funny. Skywriting. Oh my God,
1: so funny. Um, Um, I've been binging a little bit today on funny things online. I think it's just like the first day in a while where I haven't been Fully made up, tramping around Parliament House, you know, doing pieces to camera things. Mm. So I am uh, quite, I have quite enjoyed wasting a tiny bit of time today reading funny things. And the funniest, oh my God, in the top one of funny things that I've read <laughs> last week is that fabulous thing in the monthly. Um, which our mutual friend Miranda Murphy alerted me to. Oh, my gosh. It's um, by Hugh Robertson, and it's, um, it's entitled AFL 2017 in names only. The only player analysis you'll need this footy season. <laughs> and this spectacular example of humanity has gone through the entire 2017 field of players, <laughs> AFL players, and gather them into name types. It's just the most <laughs> spectacular example of, I- of time-wasting that has just produced something so fabulous. Look,
0: Murph put me on that email chain as well, oh. and it was one of those things I started reading it, I was tittering, now I
1: started laughing. By the end I was guffawing with tears running down my cheeks. It teeth. starts with, you know, names suitable for minor characters in a Charles Dickens novel. <laughs> Darcy Parrish, Brandon Parfit, Harry per- Harry Perryman, Harrison Wing, Tom Ruggles, <laughs> and then there's people with Ks in their names. Sure, sure, yeah, people with Barrels, you know, surnames and so on. <laughs> something called the annual Jared census, all the different spellings of Jared and how many of them there are, which is absolutely striking. Um, and then going through the Bradens, the Bradons, the Jadens, the Haydens, the Cadens, and the Aidens.
0: The rain in Spain falls mainly on the Dane, Dane Zane, Zane Blaine.
1: Blaine, Kane. Kane. Wayne, Germaine. Germaine. <laughs> Oh, there's Desperately Immature Giggle, Mason Cox, yee, Tyson Goldsack, <laughs> Steel Side Bottom, Aaron Mullett <laughs> I quite liked Imperatives, David Swallow, Billy Stretch, Brad Crouch, Tom Lynch, <laughs> Dean Gore. And by the time it gets to...
0: Oh, I think it, what about names suitable for the protagonist of a Banjo-Patterson bush ballad? <laughs> <laughs> Darcy Tucker.
1: Billy Frampton.
0: Jack Scrimshaw, <laughs> Fletcher Roberts. Oh, these was my favourite. Um, Names suitable for a new housing development in Sydney's northwest. Blake Acres, <laughs> Levi Greenwood, Bradley Hill, <laughs> Bailey Dale, Fergus
1: Green. <laughs> and also, uh, the, the, by this time I was just actively hooting. <laughs> oh, you six degrees of Dawson Simpson. Jordan Dawson, Liam Dawson, Zach Dawson, <laughs> Dawson Simpson, Cade Simpson, Sam Simpson. What is it? just... I don't know. People's
0: brains. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry, we're just going to read it. Yeah, the whole I like. know,
1: Basically, don't bother subscribing to the monthly. We'll just read it out for you. Hey, we should do that in the podcast.
0: <laughs> just... I just have to read it. <laughs> May the force be with you, Wiley Buzzer. <laughs> Griffin Logue. <clears throat> Ivan Soldo. You can just see, like, just... in the cantina, Ivan Soldo. Terea Bayock. Cameron Zuhar,
1: Maverick Willer. Maverick Willer. Sorry, guys. Oh, God. And the Orazio Fantasia Perpetual Trophy for Best New Name, Quinton Nartle. <laughs> so, the reason this is funny, <laughs> is so there'll be like people I imagine listening to this are just like, yes, you've heard of all of those people. But because you, who have a like starting basis of <laughs> AFL knowledge that's about, let's say, zero, all of these things are really funny. <laughs> Have you heard any of them? No. Me <laughs> <laughs>
0: either. Oh god. Uh, that was
1: just yeah. Sometimes Thank you the monthly. an idiot. Just takes an idea I haven't got my makeup on yet today. So well. That was just god, so, so
0: awesome. And also loved the thing it. that I also, I mean, look, that was just funny in and of itself, but can you imagine the fun that there must have been and the laughs pulling it together? Can
1: you imagine the ideas that this guy rejected? (laughs) Like, imagine how many false starts there were. And it says um, Hugh Robertson,
0: who's the writer, who I'd never heard of, actually. Sorry, Hugh, if you're like a Pulitzer Prize winner or something. Hugh Robertson runs a record store, writes a lot, and thinks about the Sydney Swans too much. Great bio. Well done, Hugh.
1: Well done, Hugh. You should be one of Um, our friends. It's like, you know, sometimes it's just sort of, One funny idea that can just work so beautifully. I'm slightly reminded, although um, it's a totally different kettle of fish, of that great um, piece that Peter Martin from Fairfax wrote a little while ago where he just said, he pointed out that there were more men called Peter who ran ASX 200 companies than women. (laughs) And it was just... A really great piece of name wrangling that just meant something so much. Yeah, and way to use it to illustrate um, something. Hey, before we
0: get off um, Armando Iannucci entirely as well, um, did you see the thing just while you've been going through your funnies where someone's taken actual real-life Trump footage of that non-signing of that executive order and they've used it as the closing credits to Veep? Oh, my God.
1: I've watched it several times. How good is it? It's so funny. And that is a great tribute to Iannucci's genius. Are you listening, Armando? <laughs> I love you more than she does. <laughs> um, there is a square inch of this man's ass that remains unkissed. <laughs> I'm the woman so. for the job. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the fact that even the theme music of Veep carries this quite potent... Message, Oh you know, absolutely. it's just—it's very elegant. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a great idea. Um, we'll include a link to this. It's yeah, not ever, very long, but I mean, came with it genius. just also gives you this light varnish over the extreme absurdity of the situation where Trump passes into this office and just, <laughs> ostensibly to sign this executive order, just becomes totally befuddled and then barges out again without having done what it was. And then my, I love that. <laughs> on his face it's just total veep could
0: you oh. imagine the um oh, i can't even imagine the inside of that white house at the moment i mean the memoirs are just going to be priceless right. but yeah. one of the things armando Iannucci said in our interview playing was um oh, that when he went to i asked how they researched the swearing um for those shows because the swearing <laughs> is one of the it's, most enjoyable things it's about it's gold it.
1: standard swearing oh just the quality
0: yeah. of it um, and he said in both locations he would... Because, um, you know, people in Britain swear differently sure. to people in the United States. Sure. People in the Pentagon swear differently to people in the State Department. Oh, sure. yeah. Yeah. So he do <laughs> so all of the research. But he said when he went up to the White House to do some research, Reggie Love, who used to be yeah. Obama's point Body man, man. man um, showed him around. There's a great name anyway. I mean, Reggie Love. Reggie Love, Love. absolutely. Well, yeah. um, and when he walked him through the White House, he said... Everything he said, he'd be like, this is what was uh, Josh Lyman's office. This is where C.J. Craig used to be. Yeah. Um, and I wonder when he went, mate, you know that you actually now are in the White House. You are the real thing. That was like a made-up TV show. That's terrible. Um, and he was using it as an example to show how obsessed um, America is and Washington is with Hollywood.
1: Yeah. Versus
0: what they're like in Britain. No one would walk you through and say, oh, this is Malcolm Tucker's old office. <laughs> this is, I know, you know, right?
1: Yeah. This is, what I mean... I, I mention this to everybody I know about once a month, so please bear with me while I mention it again. Um, that great old column of Maureen Dowd's where she wrote during the 2008 um, presidential campaign, she um, wrote this column about how um, one of Obama's real problems um, was that he did not have a friendly Democrat former um, pre- president to give him advice because, obviously, Clinton wasn't helping him. Um, Carter wasn't really appropriate. Um, And she said, look, he just needs somebody who has got the runs on the board to sit him down and talk him through some basics. And so she wrote to Aaron Sorkin and asked him to write a scene.
0: She she used to go out with Aaron Sorkin. I know! (laughs)
1: Which makes it even more great! But she asked him to write a scene in which um, uh, Obama goes and consults... um, Jed Bartlett's. And Sorkin does it. And it's the greatest column. And oh, also a brilliant piece of work from Maureen because she's basically written 30 words at the top and then got Aaron Sorkin and her ex-boyfriend <laughs> to write the rest of the column. But it's hysterical. It's oh, so good. Too. I read it at
0: the time. I'll have to go back out and yeah. drag it out and have a look and see.
1: Yep, I've got it on Rinse and Repeat in my house. I love that column.
0: Um, so did you see anything else particularly funny today? I mean, it's hard uh, to top that AFL thing. That was oh, so yeah. funny.
1: Look, the other, the other Trump, I mean, look, there's a million, gajillion, gabillion Trump things. And um, one of the weirdest things is that, you know, um, a lot of these memes would just be like once in a lifetime funny, but there's there's three (laughs) new ones every day. So, um, But I quite like that one that somebody's done called Sassy Trump, where they've taken those um, speeches and stuff and the elaborate hand gestures that (laughs) Trump makes. And all they do is just revoice what he's saying with a really camp. Um, voice, which <laughs> just yeah lends an entirely different air to the whole circumstance. I love um, watching those. They're very funny.
0: Look, there's just so much to do. I mean, again, just, I just hate to bring up Armando again, but <laughs> we also talked about how when you have something that's so it's like satirizing itself because yeah. it's so weird what do you do when you write satire yeah. and he was saying they've f- found that invariably they write something and about 2 or 3 weeks later it actually yeah. just happens yeah. and so we've got to talk about some in Australia. Yeah. well we got to talking about um, continuity and change yeah. and um, he said he couldn't believe when he heard Malcolm Temple say yeah. there's continuity and there's change because he said that they had gone sat down and thought, what is the most inane, meaningless thing that we could come up with? And that was what they came up with. Um, the other one that had particularly tickled his fancy was when Bill Shorten on Sky News was asked if he agreed with
1: Julia Gillard. Oh, and he said, I don't know what she said, but I know I, I agree, ag- with agree with it. I agree with it 100%. Yes. little bit of goody. Um, now, just because you may not be the only person that's allowed to have plans on this show, um, I... Um, Interviewed a whole lot of the chefs that were here for the World's 50 Best Restaurants Awards. Yes. Um, that was uh, won by uh, well, the top restaurant in the world, as announced in Melbourne the other day. Um, is a place called Eleven Madison Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interviewed both the chef and the restaurateur. Is that, that for, yeah. in New York, New York or where? Yes, it's in New York. Right. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, what but, sort of food is it? Um, imaginative. They do lots of things with pig's blood as we used to. But anyway, it's 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 a place that this that this pair, um, uh, Daniel Hume and Will Gadara, um, set up. They used to work at this restaurant and they bought it off the owner mm-hmm. and then just sort of revamped it a bit five years later. Oh, hi, we're the best restaurant in the world. Wow. So, yeah.
0: And I noticed, um, I was reading something about that this morning. There's two restaurants in Australia that are in the top 50, yeah. right? And they're both in remote locations. Yeah, Attica yeah. and
1: Bray, both uh, in sort of out of Melbourne. Yeah. Okay,
0: right. Yeah. Have you eaten at either of them?
1: I haven't actually, and right. I never will now that they're, you know, so intensely famous. But... Yeah, well, exactly. We'll never be yeah. able to get in there, sadly. Hey, can you tell the thing, me? The thing, um, before I finish with this slight clang, um, and, you know, a couple of these chefs that I met were just unbelievably extraordinary people, and I could probably yabber on for quite some time, but won't um, uh, cause you the tedium. Um, These two who run this world's best restaurant were, the thing that I really admired about them was that they were incredibly gracious and very firmly of the view that the most important thing to them and the thing that they loved most was watching people's faces be sort of transformed by joy when they ate something incredible or were surprised by some... <laughs> when, they, yeah, when they were eating the bill. bladder and they realised, <laughs> like, oh, it actually oh, doesn't taste that bad. <laughs> mm. um, and also they were really, really careful to talk about how aware they were that people went to their restaurant as a special occasion, like there are lots of birthdays and things like that. Right. And I really liked the way that they talked about that as their greatest focus because I think when you're an intensely successful chef their temptation would be to think well this is about me and my genius mm. but they were both really careful um to um to keep the focus on people who are eating at the restaurant unlike, really unlike like.
0: hero in mean, i dream of sushi, no, exactly. <laughs> I dreams of sushi. but
1: <laughs> i should say look um one of the things that i've really got so just unscratchably addicted to in the last few weeks and mainly i got onto because i was preparing for interviewing these chefs is that a bunch of them Uh, There's this guy, Massimo Bottura, who runs um, what was until this week the best restaurant in the world. It's been re-ranked down to number two. He's this incredibly OTT, genius um, chef. Um, I watched uh, Netflix's series, The Chef's Table, which has sort of 40-minute documentaries about all of these um, well-known chefs. Most of them are kind of taken from that 50 best restaurants list. And it goes through um, sort of their life stories and their practices and their you know their food and what they do. And it's so beautifully shot. It is, without a doubt, the most beautifully shot food series mm. I've ever seen. Wow. Um, to the extent that even if you've never heard of any of these chefs – five minutes five seconds in you're absolutely gripped because it's so gorgeous and so interesting and it's also a real lesson in how um if you take a bit of time and you um produce and shoot something beautifully you can actually get more out of people because you get this sense that these chefs who are cooperating and obviously very few of them are especially patient people but you can see that they're really responding to the fact that the um, the crew, um, and one assumes the interviewer because it's, there aren't um, questions um, incorporated, you're just sort of seeing and hearing, um, it's a bit like Australian story in that sense. Um, you can see that they trust what's going on and so they are actually letting the crew into quite intimate parts of their lives. Yeah.
0: Um, I was going to ask you as well, just while we're talking about the cooking stuff, I read this article um, and it sounded intriguing. And I just wondered maybe if you were there, mm. which was – Somebody asked a really inappropriate question of a panel of a female chef. Oh, they, they, I was there. That yeah. was um,
1: at the Opera House what um, last Saturday. And so the woman was actually, she's in one of these um, programs, the Chef's Table shows um, as well. Her name is Dominique Crenn. She is French-born, um, grew up in Brittany. She was adopted. Um, all of this is in this show. It's so interesting and also very um, This is very all emotional. in the Chef's Table. Yeah, it episodes. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So she was um, adopted with her little brother when she was 18 months old. He was a bit older. And this couple who went on to be her parents um, turned up at the orphanage where they were and and decided to adopt her brother. And then as they were taking him away, um, she ran over and gave him a kiss and they're like, oh, who's that? And the staff were like, oh, that's her, that's that's your boy's little sister. And they're like, well, we've got to take her too. And they're like, God, it's almost Dickensian, isn't it? Anyway, um, and so she was raised by this couple who have incredibly great parents. And um, she um, became a chef and eventually sort of settled in San Francisco where she opened her restaurant, which is called Atelier Cren. And she's so intense and all of her food is really emotional. It's all about a story. When you go to the restaurant, you don't get a, a standard menu. It's actually a poem. She writes a poem and it's got all of these sort of oblique references. It's like a haiku or something where you've got these references to elements and the dishes come out and they represent a, like a stanza of the poem. Oh. It's it's really interesting that her whole approach is, is, and we talked about this a lot on stage, she said that her... Um, the way that she creates a dish is that she starts with an emotion or a memory or a story and then she builds the ingredients around that. Completely different from, like, she was sitting at some Peter Gilmore from Key, who's like, oh, I tend <laughs> to start with the ingredient. Like, but it's so interesting to hear about these different techniques and, and you learn a lot about her. Um, the other thing about her, and I don't know why I mentioned this except that it's one of the really striking things about her, is she is intensely beautiful. Like, she's strikingly. Fascinatingly beautiful, and um, in the program, there's a lot of her like being really intense in the kitchen. You see that she's there round the clock, pretty much, and you don't really see all that much of the rest of her life, except you know sometimes in the interview she's in her house with her little dog, and you know. Mm. Anyway, so when we got to the public Q and uh, and A part of this discussion, um, and there were some other people on the panel like um, Brett Graham, the for the Newcastle-born chef who now runs the Leadbury in, in London, mm-hmm. uh, which he set up when he was 26 and he's still only 38. I hate uh-huh. him. Um, <laughs> he's a genius. Anyway, um, so we had a few questions. And then this guy gets up, right? This is in the Opera House. There's lots of people there. And he says, he starts off with some weird remark about Malcolm Turnbull and there's never been a more exciting time to be a chef or something. Everyone's like, yeah, Right. <laughs> What is it, The thing where people all still think it's funny to say that? There's never <sighs> been a more exciting time. <laughs> as the Prime Minister would say. God, get over it. Anyway, um, you know, I'm interested, Dominique, in, you know, when I, I look along the line of chefs sitting around you and, you know, they all have... Um, families and wives and whatever. And I, I want to know, Dominique, you know, who, who looks after you? Who supports you? You know, I, I mean, um, you don't seem to have any family. And I'm just wondering why, you know, having the choices that you've made, why it is that you've made the choice not to take on one of the most important jobs that a woman can do, which is to be a mother. And so there's this whole kind of, the whole opera house just goes a bit like, uh, and I'm thinking, I do here? Because I'm thinking, is that too insulting a question really for this woman to put up with? I don't know. Like she's the, she's an incredible professional anyway. So I look over at her and she gives me this wink. I'm thinking, oh, you're all right. So she says, and I'm, I I pathetically try and reproduce the absolute (laughs) splendor of her response. But she said, she starts off by saying, well, boy. And I'm like, oh god, here (laughs) we go. Yeah, because this guy is like in his 15s, probably older than her. And she says, "I don't understand why you make. How do you know? How do you presume to know my family situation? How do you know I'm not a mother? (laughs) Ow. And everyone's like, oh god. And then she says, "I have two twin girls, four years old." And everyone's like, whoa, whoa. And then she starts saying. Everybody makes choices in their life, everybody, not just men, not just women. And you know what? I really hope that you make a good choice in your life. I hope okay. if you have a family, if you have the children, the wife, I hope you do everything you can to allow her to pursue her dreams. It's not just about your dreams. I hope that's the choice you make, okay? <laughs> you know, because this is not a man-woman thing. This is a human thing. Oh, oh my, did the okay. whole room just go, Well, and then she says, and she's, like, well into it at this stage. And awesome. I am not paying appropriate tribute to the mastery of her response because she was slitting this guy to ribbons like a, like a Christmas turkey <laughs> and I'm not sure that he was quite aware of the extent of his injuries while this was happening. And then finally she just says, so, you know what? I like you. I like you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask me another question. <laughs> and did he? No, uh, <laughs> he, he tried to give it a shot like at oh, oh, the end. Man. We just we moved on but
0: that's just so was... awesome that she was could respond like that.
1: She was incredible and the other thing like first of all there was the drama of this. Actually, I've got 4-year-old twins. Yeah. <laughs> which you had you saw nothing of in the TV show. So to that extent like his assumptions yeah. were um, were kind of sustained by the program that he'd seen. Right. But then again, there's heaps of chefs in that series where you don't see their families. Yeah. The thing is that you just assume that if, if the woman's family isn't visible, it's because she doesn't have one. Yeah, right. Um, so there was the sort of the penny dropping of that reveal and then her um, muscular follow-up followed by her just direct challenge to him. It was just, yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a masterclass. And the other thing is that the thing that it made you – hyper aware of is oh my god imagine working in this woman's kitchen
0: <laughs> and did she deliver it with sort of calm precision she was oh. charming oh
1: awesome. so she wasn't angry she was just uh so interestingly like it was the talk of the oh, whole sure. place afterwards um and i had a bunch of people come up to me and what was really interesting was the breadth of interpretations of her response. Like there were people saying, oh, my God, she was so nice to him. Why was she so nice to him? And I was thinking, oh, I think she kind of blew him up really. But anyway, she just did it in this. Such a charming way. Quite a charming way. It's incredible
0: Mm -hmm. too how like, you know, It's one thing if someone asks something stupid and then you eviscerate them in an angry way. Mm. But then the ability to, like, just annihilate somebody in a really calm and still retain some charming sort of way is amazing. Like, I um, am friends with a young woman who's in her early 20s who had stage 3 breast cancer. Mm. She's now been through a treatment and is um, in remission. But... When you're that young and you have something like that, you have to go and have all your eggs removed yep. because you need to be able to maintain some yep. prospect of having children later. So, she had to have IVF, basically, not yep. to get the eggs implanted, just to get them yep. taken away and frozen. And so, she is this gorgeous looking, you know, at the time, 22-year-old, and she would have to go, as you do if you have IVF, and go to the office in the morning yep. for, I think they do a blood test or something. And... um she would be sitting there, and they'd be everyone would be waiting for the clinic to open. there would be, you know, a dozen yeah. women or whatever, and everyone else would be about our age. And yeah. so she really stood out mostly. Yeah. No anyway, they were all sitting there in silence one day, and this woman said, "What are you doing here?" Yeah. And when my friend told me, I thought, I just thought that is so unbelievably rude that you would yeah. ask that in that environment. Yeah. And I was thinking, I would have said. Well, if you must know, I've got breast cancer and <laughs> sort, of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of leapt on her. But my friend just coolly fixed her and said, I'm here for the same reason you are, to get a blood test. I just thought that is so much better because she <laughs> gave that woman nothing. She just gave her absolutely nothing. So I was very proud of her for that excellent <laughs> response. Hey, now, Brenda um, told me that this is our 50th episode. Oh, is it? Yeah, I know. And we haven't moved from this damn the damn <laughs> office. not even with a nice snack. <laughs> I, I know. We'll have to do something good There's for our no 100. no Sorry. should yeah, have brought something. Um, and uh, we a minty.
1: I've got so much left to talk about. Maybe we should see if we can do a second.
0: Well, why don't we call this,
1: um, um, you know, 50th episode part u Yeah exactly <laughs> at the 50th present is another one coming right up good plan yeah
0: part deux.
1: <laughs> <laughs>